It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast, Steve and Jerry. Steve here, Jerry there. Hey, Jer. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good, good. We're about 40 miles apart, which is as close as we can get at this point. Right. Close together in spirit. We are close together in spirit. And today, Jer, we are doing side two of Hemispheres. I'm very, very excited. So am I. There's a, there's a lot of songs to cover. A lot of songs to cover. <laughs> well, well, three songs to cover. Yeah. And a question for you before we get started, Jer. Yeah. Is side two of Hemispheres better than side one of Hemispheres? I don't have the slightest idea. I don't think so, but maybe. I don't know. I mean, think about it. These are three amazing songs on side two. I know. But side one was one amazing song. That's true. Here's another question for you. What is the best album side that Rush has ever done? The best album side. Would you say it's side one of Moving Pictures, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say side one of Moving Pictures. Probably has to be, right? Although, you know, with the great albums, you're splitting hairs. Very true. Yeah, it could be any of them. Very true. So I've got a Twitter poll for you before we get started, Jer. Oh, great. I love Twitter polls. If you recall, a couple of episodes ago, we discussed A Farewell to Kings. I do. And side two of A Farewell to Kings, I asked the Twitterverse, what their favorite song was, and I will ask you. Okay. Closer to the Heart, Cinderella Man, Madrigal, or Cygnus X1, Book One. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Closer to the Heart. You are incorrect. Really? You're usually good at this now. I'm losing my touch. Cygnus X1, Book One, 53%. Wow. I was surprised, too. Closer to the Heart, I thought would do a little better, but uh, yeah. thir- 34%. Closer to the heart. Cinderella Man only got 10%. Oh, boy. Which I was also surprised by. And Madrigal pulled up the rear with only 4%. Yeah, I can see that. Which I can see. I understand that. But Cygnus X1, I mean, it's a great song. I I can't argue. Nope. But uh, Closer to the Heart and Cinderella Man, also great songs. So it's a tough one. It is a tough one. So before we get started, Jer... Uh, I should tell everyone that you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram the Rushcast. You can email Jerry at the Rushcast at gmail.com. And the bass intro today, Jared, done by our good pal Lex, circumstances from the aforementioned side two of hemispheres. Yes. Nice use of aforementioned. Yeah, I like that. Is it word of the day? Yes. Yeah, so before we talk about the album itself, we should talk about the album cover. Oh, that's right. Which I'm holding up for you. On Skype, in case you forgot what it looked like, the viewers cannot see it because there are no viewers. This is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, they're listeners, not viewers. <laughs> I was, you know, I'm, I'm watching you on Skype, so I just assume they're viewers. We should probably post the Skype somewhere. That would be cool. Yeah, sure. I have to move to a different part of my basement, though, because my ceiling is unfinished. And then when I edit out all our mistakes, it won't sync up with the video. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so anyway, your your thoughts on the Hemispheres album cover, Jer? I love this album cover. I, I really love it. It's just so um, representative of the Hemispheres song itself. And it's kind of bizarre, right? Two guys standing on a brain. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Jer, I did a little bit of research on the album cover, and I uncovered on our friend Eric Hansen's Power Windows website an interview with Hugh Syme. Oh, okay. Very cool, right? What do you have what do you have to say? 
Well, he said the overall hemisphere's image was my own. It was developed after Neil and I discussed the nature and behavior of the left and right. The Dionysian-Apollonian hemispheres of the brain was very ambitious for a pre-digital endeavor. While I still like the cover's concept and its overall feel, it ranks among my more technically naive efforts. I didn't sketch anything out before we did it. That wasn't the way I worked. Interesting, right? Yeah. What, is he, what do you think he means by technically naive? I don't know. Maybe like it's, he just, maybe he just kind of just pieced it all together. Well, let, let me continue and we'll piece it together as well. The Magritte man in the bowler hat was my old and dear friend, Bobby King, also from the Niagara region where Neil and I both hail from. I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but Bobby was also the model for the original Rush nude Starman logo. So the guy in the hat, the guy in the bowler hat, the guy in the bowler hat is the Starman. Wow. Now I would have thought the other guy was the Starman. Yeah. Some people have said the cover is quite Pink Floydian in tone, and I can see that now. I agree, too. Yeah, I think so. It's probably the most Floyd-like Rush cover. Now, the naked man was a dancer, they found, who was studying at the Toronto Ballet School. Now, I believe that. Yeah, that's obvious, I think. He's pretty chiseled. So here's the thing that's going to blow your mind, Jer. How do we create a half a brain for the figures to stand on? The Department of Anatomy at the Toronto University School of Medicine were kind enough to loan me someone's brain to photograph. I couldn't tell you whose it was. The forced scale of the two subjects in the brain was, of course, created through the photo composite that I pulled together. That's pretty cool, huh? Real brains. It's real human brain. It's someone's brain. Someone's brain. That's crazy town. You've heard of donating your brain to science. Someone donated their brain. To the Rush album cover. <laughs> and that Rush would album. be cool to do. <laughs> that, yeah. I want to donate, uh, you know, my body to science. Really? Yeah. So hopefully uh, something cool like that will happen. How about an album cover? Maybe Iron Maiden. Now, do you think the people whose brains these were approved this beforehand? <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing not. I'm not sure about that. More from Hugh. People seem to think that the barren landscape and expansive sky must have been a real task to build and create without the aid of an Apple Mac. But since I already had a very extensive background in illustration, the landscape and sky was created rather quickly. It was a time in my life when I was on the threshold of merging my airbrush and traditional painting techniques with photography. Pretty good timing, as it turned out. So he painted it. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. So that that really makes the album cover even cooler for me, I think. Yeah, I think so. So anything else on the album cover before we move on, sir? No. All right. The first song on side two of Hemispheres, Jer, Circumstances. So, Jar Circumstances, a short song for a change. Yeah, a short song, a relatively short song. Well, com- compared to the rest of the songs on the album. It's short. 
and I have, I have a quote here from Getty. He says, yeah, that song was a bit of a holiday for us at the time. Like, let's do something short. The truth is, we don't write more than we can use, and if along the way a song doesn't cut it, we just kick it out. We famously have no hidden tracks because every song took maximum effort, and we didn't see the point in putting in maximum effort for a song that we had doubts about. So we decided we needed one more song for Hemispheres. Neil had these circumstances lyrics, and it became a very great opportunity to do something different. Working on a sidelong piece is so draining on many levels, you feel like you're a slave to this concept. So anything that's not like that feels like way more fun. And that quote is from loudersound.com. I can imagine that's true, right? This is like, how long is this song? Yeah. Four minutes long, this song? It's like a... It's like a vacation. It's like a pop song. Yeah. So I didn't realize, Jared, this song is about Neil. For whatever reason, it never occurred to me that this song was about him. Oh, I, I kind of assumed it was, I guess. Maybe I had read it somewhere a long time ago. But you assume every song is about Neil. (laughs) <laughs> don't you that's true you do. I do i do i do but this one's actually about him yes about his experiences yeah so when he was 18 years old he flew to london on his own and decided to try out life there yeah try to become a rock drummer somewhere yeah get into the scene a boy alone so far from home yeah it's great i mean it's the beginning of the song is really sets up his loneliness when he first got there that's what i'm getting from it right oh yeah Boy alone, so far from home, endless rooftops from my window. I felt the gloom of empty rooms on rainy afternoons. I love that interior rhyme there, gloom and room. Yeah, and, and you can just picture Neil in the room by himself. It's empty. You know, you can see the expanse of London through the window. Yeah, and he's just sitting there, maybe even writing this song. You never know. Yeah, probably. I mean, the lyrics could, the lyrics could be that old, so I suppose. You know, I never looked into it. I'm sure somebody knows. Did he ever write lyrics before he joined Rush or if he ever dabble? I don't know. I don't know. But I did read that these were lyrics that he had had for quite a while. Now, I don't know when he wrote them, oh, Okay, but I believe he wrote them, you know, a few years earlier, which yeah. wouldn't be that long after he joined the band, honestly. Yeah, that's true. And then it goes on, you know, sometimes in confusion, I felt so lost and disillusioned. Innocence gave me confidence to go up against reality, which is... A perfect encapsulation of what it's like to be young. Oh, totally. Dreams of grandeur in your head. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to fly to London by myself, and I'm going to be a rock star. (laughs) That's the kind of thing an 18-year-old would think. You have confidence because you don't know any better. Right. But you're going up against reality. Mm -hmm. Reality doesn't care about your confidence level. Right. And in the chorus, we've got some French. Our French teacher would be very proud. Madame Maloney, remember her? Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I knew you were going to ask me her name. I didn't remember. Madame Maloney. Her first mention on the podcast and probably last. <laughs> there's, I don't think there's any more French. No, I don't think so. In Rush songs. So the interpretation of this French, Jer, is in fact, the more that things change, the more they stay the same. Correct? Yes, I think so. But he has to repeat it in English for, for those who don't speak French. I think it works, though. I like it. Oh, I know. It's great. I love it. Um, what do you think it means? So the more that things change, the more they say the same within con- the context of the song. Well, I think that even though Neil went to London, he's still the same old Neil, right? Yeah. His environment has changed, but he hasn't changed. He's still Neil. Yeah, that's what comes up after this, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess that the rest of the song is from a removed vantage point, like whether or not it's when he got back home or maybe after he joined 
Rush. I guess it would be after he joined Rush because he says, now I've gained some understanding of the only world that we see. Things that I once dreamed of have become reality. So it must have been after he joined Rush. Right. The things that he once dreamed of is being in a band like Rush. Yeah, exactly. Then to your point, he says, these walls that still surround me still contain the same old me. Yeah. That's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Just one more who's searching for the world that ought to be. And I think throughout Neil's life, he felt that way. He was just the same old Neil. No matter how famous he got, no matter how many accolades he was given, he was just Neil. Yeah. And he wasn't comfortable being Neil Peart, drummer of Rush. He was just comfortable being Neil Peart. Right. And then at the end, all I mean, this is earlier in the song too, but all the same, we take our chances, laughed at by time, tricked by circumstances. I, lo- I love that line because it makes me think that sometimes you get into certain circumstances and they can lead you to believe something that may or may not be true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, I guess he got, when he got to London, let's say, he might've thought his circumstances, one thing, I'm just, I'm a really good drummer. I'm going to get all these gigs or whatever. And that's not what happened. He got, he got tricked by the circumstances he found himself in. And it's true because no matter how good a drummer you are, that has nothing to do with you having fame and fortune, really. You have to just, it's all luck, really. Yeah. Being in the right place at the right time. Right. And him going back to Toronto and, and going to that audition with Neil and Alex, that was the right place at the right time. Right. Yeah, I always, I was talking to my daughter, my older daughter, about Rush, you know, about how they, they formed with, with Neil and the band. But I also told her about U2. Do you know the story about how U2 formed? I do not. Larry Mullen Jr., the drummer, mm-hmm. he put in like an ad, I guess, in like some community center. Like they're all, all the kids hang, hung out and he was just like, hey, I want, want to form a band. I need a bassist, guitarist, singer. Mm-hmm. And, and guess who showed up? The Edge. <laughs> yeah, The Edge, Bono, and Adam Clayton. They all showed up at the same time? They all showed up for the same audition and some other guy, I guess, who didn't make it into the band. But what are the chances of that? That is crazy. Yeah. Those three guys showed up for the audition on the same day at the same time. I believe so. Wow. Or they were the only ones who showed up for those particular instruments. Maybe I should have put an ad in the paper when I was a kid looking for (laughs) band members. I never thought to do that. It's just so strange that you could have four supremely talented guys come together answering the same ad. It's so bizarre. Now, how do you do that now? I mean, back then, you could put an ad in a newspaper. Do they have ads for drummers in newspapers anymore? How do you, how do you find band members now? Newspapers, right? Steve? Newspapers? <laughs> I would imagine, I always think that maybe it'd be easier today to do those kinds of things because you could just be connected to whoever from wherever, but maybe right. it's harder. I don't, I don't know, know. But, but didn't Neil answer an ad in a newspaper also? Didn't Getty and Alex put, a, put an ad in the paper? Oh, I should know that, shouldn't I? We both should know that. Yeah, we sure should. Maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should cut this out. <laughs> nah, leave it in. Let people get mad at us. It's fun. It is. So musically, Jared, this song is freaking amazing. I mean, the drums and the bass, just incredible, really. Yeah. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even know what to say. And you were talking the other day about time signatures and how you don't notice when Rush songs are in a different time signature. I think this yeah. is the one Rush song that does sound like it's clearly in a weird time signature. Oh, yeah, I think so. But, you know, again, it's not as noticeable or I guess it's not as jarring as some other songs. That's because they're so good at it. 
I know that it, the transitions between them are so smooth. Well, the thing that's amazing about this song is there are nine time signature changes in the first 11 measures. How crazy is that? <laughs> and in some cases, each measure has a different time signature. I don't even, I can't even wrap wow. my head around that. How do you even do that? I don't know. And this was the, what did Getty say? This is the easy song on the album? Yeah, this is the easy song. The Holiday. Yeah, The Holiday. <laughs> the Holiday from all the other difficult songs. <laughs> he, he's nothing like us, that's for sure. So the time yeah. signatures are 4-4, four, 3-4, four, 2-4, four, four, and 5-4. So five different time signatures, but changing back and forth throughout the song. Right. Which is, is crazy to me, really. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. No. And I really love um, Alex's tone on this song. It's oh, yeah. A, it's, it's different than Hemispheres. You know, it's a lot, I don't know, chunkier, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an underrated Rush song, and I think it's one of those songs that kind of slips through the cracks because Hemispheres is so epic, and La Villa Strangiata is amazing, and The Trees, because it's about trees, just of course. people remember that, and, and Circumstances kind of gets forgotten on this record, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it's a shame because it's, it's really, yeah, it, I guess it is. It's, it's one of those deep tracks, I suppose. Right, and when I say forgotten, it's not forgotten by Rush fans. It's forgotten by people who are fringe fans of Rush. Right, passing fans. Everybody knows The Trees. Everybody knows Closer to the Heart. Right. And even the other three songs on this record, casual Rush fans know. Circumstances never really made a Greatest Hits album, I, I would guess. <laughs> I guess not. That would be a great Greatest Hits album if you just had Hemispheres, The Fountain of Lemneth, 2112. <laughs> <laughs> All the album side. All the know, radio hits. All the radio hits. So anything else on Circumstances, Jared, before we move on to track two on side two? No. All right. It's the trees. So, Jar, my English teacher would be so happy. Personification. I learned about that in grammar school. Yes, personification. And here it is, the trees. Is. That's right. Right, they're shaking their heads. They're shaking their heads. They're doing all sorts of things. They're forming unions. <laughs> <laughs> Demanding equal rights. Oh, oh, man, just like people. Yes. So your thoughts on the trees, Jar? I mean, what else is there to say? And what else is there to say about the trees, right? I've, I've always had a kind of an uneasy relationship with with trees with trees in general <laughs> just the ones in my yard I, they're such they're such jerks <laughs> you know they're always dropping their leaves and i have to pick them up they're the worst and those acorns man come on oh, man they have you ever got hit on the head with an acorn I'm i have actually it I hurts have. it really <laughs> hurts those things are pointy but anyway i think the song is very critical of liberal thinking and in some ways conservative thinking but very critical of liberal thinking very critical of unions and very critical of people demanding something from the so-called upper class and i really don't think that neil would think that way i don't think he really thinks that way well did you know that rand paul quoted the trees frequently all the time 
in his speeches and at his rallies. Yeah. Okay. Well, that adds, that adds something to the complication, don't you think? Yeah. Do you know what he said? He would just read, he'd read the lyrics verbatim. But in what context? I, I guess to show his libertarian views. That's yeah, strange though, right? I wonder if he did the, the, the woodblock sounds. You think he like, like hummed the musical part in the middle? I fa- no, I found <laughs> it on YouTube. He just basically read the lyrics. That's all. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, it, I guess it's good. He's a Rush fan, right? Yeah. He's a huge Rush fan. And apparently Rush's lawyers had to contact his lawyers to get him to stop doing it. I actually, I actually found an article in the Atlantic that was written back in two, 2010. Okay. Uh, and this guy, Joshua Green, who's also a Rush fan uh, from the Atlantic, or at least he was at the Atlantic at the time. Not sure if he's still there. Uh, he wrote this article. He actually interviewed Rush's lawyer and talked to him about contacting Rand Paul's lawyer and the whole thing. Oh, I got to read that. You, you have to send that to me. Yeah, it's so, interesting. What does he say? What Rush's lawyer said was that they protect their copyright for any reason. So they wouldn't let anybody use it for any reason. Oh, okay. He hadn't gotten permission and they wanted him to stop using it, period. Oh, okay. But I also found an article in Rolling Stone where Neil Peart, when Rush was finally on the cover, I guess back in 2015. Yeah. Neil said to Rolling Stone, it's very obvious Paul hates women and brown people. <laughs> that was the quote in the article. That had nothing to do with the, him not wanting Rand Paul to uh, use the Well, he, he said this is not a political issue. It's a copyright issue. We would do yeah. this no matter who it is. So, right. But in case you're wondering, <laughs> Rand Paul hates women and brown people. That's great. Just when you think you, just when you, think you can't love Neil Moore. He says something like that. Oh man. But I think that what it's trying to, what the song is trying to say is that attempting to make each element of society equal to every other society through government action is inherently anti-freedom. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But, 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 but is this song about that in any way, shape or form? I see this is the problem I have. I don't know. It certainly reads like it is, but you know, I have a quote. You might have the same quote. I may go ahead. I believe it was Neil. Somebody asked him in some interview. I forgot where I got this from, what the trees was about. And he said, it was just a flash. I was working on an entirely different thing. When I saw a cartoon picture of these trees carrying on like fools, I thought, what if trees acted like people? So I wrote it as a cartoon really. And wrote it that way. I think that's the image that it conjures up to a listener or a reader. A very simple statement. Now, do you think that he really meant that? I don't think so. You think he was pulling the wool over our eyes there a little bit? I don't know. I can't imagine that he could write a song like this and not be aware of the implications of it or what it's seemingly trying to say. Seems very deliberate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also found a similar quote. It was basically the same quote, but he basically said, didn't mean anything. Right. I don't buy that. You don't think so? No, so, I don't think so. So think about this. This is what I always thought. And I never, you know, I didn't really give it too much thought, but to me, maple trees, maple is the symbol of Canada, correct? The maple yes. leaf on the flag. Yep. So I always thought the maples were Canada and the oak trees were the United States. Well, that's one interpretation that I read. Someone, I should have gotten the email out. 
one of our listeners said that it's really supposed to represent the Quebec secessionist movement in the 70s. Okay. Whereas the Quebecois are the maples and Canada as a whole are the oaks. Oh, interesting. But I, I don't know enough about the secessionist movement to talk about that. But you're not buying that Neil just decided to write a song about trees, just a goofy song about trees, and it had no deeper meaning other than that. Right. I mean, there would be a million other ways to write a goofy song about trees than to couch it in such a in such a way where there's one group of people who think they're being discriminated against by another group of people, and the government steps in and decides, you know what, you're all going to be equal and cuts them all down to the same size. That That's basically <laughs> what the song is about. Yeah. Right? It's great. Yeah. So I don't know if how you could write that and think that it isn't about something. It's interesting. It is interesting. I don't think that I'm ascribing to Neil any malicious intent, you know? I just think it's a it's a critique of certain aspects of society. I don't know what else to say. Well, the thing is, I would have to take Neil at his word. I, I'm sorry. I mean, you could be right, but he's not the type to just lie. Oh no. You know, I think I think if he if there was a deeper meaning to the song, I think he would have said it. I don't think he would have been afraid to say it. No, I don't think so. But man, this song is deep. <laughs> there is a huge deep meaning in this song. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is a really, really, really deep, astute song. And I just can't believe that he didn't think that way. I just don't know if there's any way for us to know. Oh, no, there isn't. There's no way to know. I mean, we have the quote from Neil. We know what he said, and we know what our interpretation might be of the song. But I mean, I guess we have to take Neil at his word here, right? Oh, absolutely. So the song itself, Jer, it's just another amazing Rush song. It starts yep. out with the acoustic guitar, which, oh, yeah. sound, which sounds fantastic. Again, yep. it doesn't sound like the acoustic guitar did on A Farewell to Kings, but just as amazing. I don't know how Alex gets this sound out of his guitar, but... Yeah, I don't know. It really it really is great. And the song has three distinct time signatures, Jer. 6-8, which is used during the acoustic section, which I just mentioned. Then it goes to the traditional 4-4, four, four, which is used in the heavier guitar sections. And then 5-4 in the instrumental bridge. That's a, that's a lot. It is a, it is a <laughs> lot. It's not as much as circumstances, but... No. Speaking of that bridge, I mean, it's just great. Amazing. Yeah. The, the Rush is just showing off their chops on this song. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your thoughts on the music? Oh, well, the music is fantastic, of course. I do love when I was going to talk about this when we get to the instrumental part after the lyrics, but to me, the instrumental part is like two sides of an argument, right? Because it's got like the guitar part and then it breaks for the, the wood blocks or whatever. Yeah. And it yeah. Goes back to the guitar. So it's like a two sides of an issue where they're just arguing with each other. Rush did that a lot in their music. The lyrics kind of fit the music in that way. And right. we can like, discuss that a little more when we get to a La Villa Strangiata, which is similar also. Yeah. And by touring the Snow Dog, they do that, right? There's the fight. Yeah. You can kind of tell there's different instruments for the different people mm -hmm. fighting. So one instrument is the maples, the other one's the oaks. Right. 
and they battle. I would imagine that the guitar-heavy part, they're maples. No, I'm sorry, the oaks. The oaks, Since for they're sure. Louder. Since they're louder. Yeah. Um, so let's go through the lyrics a little bit. Please. In my, in my um, breakdown of them, which is, again, not to say is the only interpretation of this song or even a valid interpretation of this song. Okay, go ahead. So we start off with, uh, you know, there is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. The maples want more sunlight and the oaks ignore their pleas. Now, the stuff that I was reading, I have some quotes from that book, Russian Philosophy, about this. It also sets up kind of a critique of the working class versus the upper class, right? Because the rich have all of the resources and the, the lower classes don't, right? And mm-hmm. they yell up at the upper classes, hey, you know, we could use more, in this case, it's sunlight mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever the valuable thing is. And uh, the oaks just ignore them. Just totally just ignore them. But what else are they supposed to do, right? They're oaks. And they have all the sunlight they need. They have all the sunlight they need. Can't you just be happy in your shade? Right. See, that's what I'm talking about. Why can't <laughs> they just be happy in their shade? That sounds like such a political statement. Yeah. Doesn't it? Oh, yeah. But then we have the trouble with the maples, which is interesting to me because it's not that there's actual trouble. There's the trouble with the maples, right? It's not that there's something wrong with this situation between the maples and the oaks. It's that the maples have a problem with it. Right. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just their problem. They have a problem. They want something that somebody else, the oaks, have. That's their problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of analogous to societies in general. There's people who, they're the haves and the haves not. Or the haves not? The haves and the have nots. Mm -hmm. No. I don't know what I'm saying. The people at the top have all the stuff. The people at the bottom don't have any of the stuff. And the people at the top don't want to give away all their stuff to the people at the bottom. Happens all the time throughout history. Happens all the time, right? And the other, the next line, so it goes, the trouble with the maples, and they're quite convinced they're right. Hang on a second. There's parentheses around that, Jer. I know. Is that a problem for you? (laughs) I don't know why there's parentheses. I mean, I think I know why there's parentheses now that I think about it, because this is a very sarcastic line. Yeah. This is extremely sarcastic. The trouble with the maples, first of all, it's not a real problem. It's just a problem that the maples have. And they're quite convinced they're right. Even though they're not. Even though they're not. Exactly. They're quite convinced they're right. Wink, wink. Like <laughs> laughing at them. They say the oaks are just too lofty and they grab up all the light. It's them. Again, it's the maples problem. Yeah, they're saying it, but it's not true. Right. They say it. But does anybody else believe it? Who knows? So, and then the oaks can't help their feelings if they like the way they're made and they wonder why the maples can't be happy in their shade. Why can't they be happy? It's just a fun little song about trees, Jared. I didn't mean anything by it. Doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> but uh, you see what I'm saying? Like, how, oh, could, yeah, no, I, I how could you not read into it, right? Why can't people just be happy with where they are, right? Not bothering anybody else. Just stay where you're supposed to be, you maples. But then there's also the other idea that you know this is nature right Mm -hmm. things in nature evolve to their little niche so the maples don't need a lot of sunlight right because that's how they grew and that's how they evolved in this kind of forest setting they don't need to have a lot of sunlight i don't even know if that's true is that true i was gonna say is that even true no idea but you know when in in uh jungles right in a rainforest you have the huge trees in the canopy 
that block out almost all sunlight. And then you have the smaller plants at the bottom. They get the sunlight they need. But I don't think maples are one of those trees that doesn't need sunlight. I don't think Neil did that much research into this. I don't think so either. I have no idea though. No, I don't know either. We should have looked that up for sure. Right. Yeah, we really should have. Should we stop and... and <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Let's not. Let's not. It's too late and, now. We're already deep into this. We should stop and ask an arborist. Um, so then the next line is, uh, you know, it kind of repeats what the first lines say. There's trouble in the forest and the creatures all have fled as the maples scream oppression and the oaks just shake their heads. Again, personification. Oaks shaking their heads. That's right. But again, you know, it's the, the people, you know, like maybe like unions, people who are trying to form a union, right? They're saying, you're mistreating us. And the people at the top are just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, because they don't need need to change anything. Right, they don't want it. There's nothing wrong with them. Right, it's your problem. It's your problem. It's your problem, Maple. Right. So then we have the awesome instrumental part, which we already talked about. Yeah. Insanity, right? Just just amazing. This uh, this again was one of the highlights of a rush show when they did the trees live oh yeah it was just just great yeah always the best but then we get to the end oh boy right yes so the maples formed a union and demanded equal rights they say the oaks are just too greedy we will make them give us light so again that's kind of a critique pretty straightforward critique of you know unionization if you ask me Mm -hmm. yeah The, the the maples coming together as a group and saying you have you have all the resources and we want some of the resources. And then there's no more oak oppression for they passed a noble law, which again, saying noble law, very sarcastic. Yes. Very sarcastic. As you know, as if this is the greatest ideal ever, a noble law. And of course, the remedy for this problem is a terrible remedy. Yeah. Right? This is going to destroy the forest and the trees are all kept equal by hatchet axe and saw. Now, when I was reading into this, I was reading things about this. Um, some of the, well, I guess most of them said that the oaks are cut down so that the maples can have light. Now, I think everything is cut down. So, no, no. See, my interpretation is the first thing you said. I think the trees are all kept equal. So, if the maples are, let's say, 20 feet tall and the oaks are 30 feet tall, the oaks are chopped down to the maple's level. Well, what about the trees all, are all kept equal? What about all the other trees? Right, there are other trees that are smaller. Well, maybe that maybe they're inc- maybe they're included also. That's what I mean. I all of the, so if there are trees that are smaller than the maples, you know that the maples are going. Those trees are going to say, "Hey, well, now the maples are taking all the light." Well, that's on our other song on the next record, Jared. The trees too. <laughs> the maples versus the trees other two trees. Electric boogaloo. <laughs> exactly. No, but I mean, I think this is where the, the, the critique really hits home about trying to make uh, people equal, quote unquote, is that it never stops, right? This is just a song, Jared, that he wrote about a couple of cartoon trees, though. It's just a song. Like, like I mean, what does this have to do with the rest of the forest? Everything in the forest is just going to be cut down to a certain level because after you cut everything down to the height of the smallest trees... What about the moss? Maybe the moss has no say at all because the moss is so tiny and insignificant. Right. Just as the maples were to the oaks. Right. So maybe if the, if the moss gets a union going. Maybe we should just plow the whole forest down. 
Exactly. I think that's what this song is saying, is that once you start down the slippery of slope of trying to, quote unquote, grant people equal rights, that it never stops. Yeah. That's, my, that's what I think this is a critique of. But Neil says it's just a song. It he is just a fun. song. Let me, uh, so I have some quotes from this, that book, Russian Philosophy. We oh, okay, great. A little bit with Liz Swan. Yeah, yeah. So this chapter is called Russia's Libertarianism Never Fit the Plan. Oh, okay. By, by Stephen Horowitz. All right. So here's what, here's what he has to say. It, the parts of it are long. I'm going to skip over some of it. But he says, these themes that strongly parallel Kurt Vonnegut's short story, Harrison Bergeron. I don't know if you've ever read that in college. Never. You know, I love Kurt Vonnegut. You do. So uh, the short story, Harrison Bergeron, where equality among humans is maintained by forcing the strong to wear weights and the smart to hear disruptive buzzers in their ears. The song can be understood to use the allegory of trees to argue that people are not equal and that the only way to make them equal is by brute force. The oaks presumably have not used force against the smaller maples. Rather, they are simply taller and more able to get sunlight. When the trees grow as their own nature or preferences allow, there's no reason to think they will be equal. Again, freedom generates inequality. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. Huh. So and later on, he says, um, it shows that no matter how much we might hope that the power of government will be used for desirable purposes, once that power is available to be used, it will likely get used for more socially destructive ends. Although many argue that the complexity of modern society is a reason why we need a more powerful government to help control and direct it. Libertarianism flips that point on its head. If society is so complex, how can we expect fallible humans like us to control it from the top down via government? Wow. Yeah. He's really going to town on, the, on this song. Huh. Uh, so here's, here's one last thing. The Trees also illustrates the libertarian argument that trying to enrich one's own narrow special interest through government leads to worse outcomes for everyone. The maples think that they will achieve their goal by passing a noble law, but the reality is that the trees will all kept equal by brute force. Peart's closing line strongly suggests that not only will the hatchet cut the oaks down, it will cut the maples down too, possibly because there are yet other trees who see the maples as a threat. The entire society is made worse off by the excessive use of government coercion, including those who thought that they would benefit from it. Boy. Which is exactly what you just said. Yeah. I probably lifted it from there. Not, not yeah, did, you did. You probably read that before the podcast, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I guess I did. <laughs> it was lodged in my brain. But so uh, again, I'm not saying that that's what this song necessarily is about, but it certainly seems like it is. Yeah. I'd be interested. I bet you listeners have lots of ideas about this song. So please write it in or comment somewhere, but please be nice about it. Yeah, the rushcast at gmail.com. Send us your send us your thoughts on the trees. Yeah. Or you can listen to our other podcast, which will be released soon, Ask an Arborist. That's right. Ask an Arborist. We'll have an Arborist on. <laughs> you can tell us all about maples. I'm joking. We're not going to do that podcast. <laughs> That'd be great, though. Ask an Arborist. That would be yeah, a great podcast. Sure. Tree, trees are interesting. All right. Let's move on, Jer. Track three on side two of Hemispheres is La Villa Strangiato. (laughs) 
this, I would think, is Russia's greatest instrumental achievement, wouldn't you say? Their first and greatest. You know, I, I think so. I definitely would say that. But I think uh, YYZ is a, you know, a close second. I think I might have said this before. Like, if La Villa Strangiato is the sun, then YYZ is Mercury. It's really close. But th- this song is a tour de force. Absolutely. And the thing, as a Rush fan, I'm just disappointed in myself for not knowing this. I had no idea that the song is supposed to represent Alex Lifeson's dreams. Did you know that? His, his nightmares, yeah. His nightmares, which listening to it after knowing that, it just opens up a whole new world to me for this song. I'm thinking, wow, this is even more amazing than I thought it was. Yeah, right. Because it it plays like dreams and nightmares. You can almost hear, you can almost see the dreams and nightmares while you're listening to it. Yeah, right. It's It really is amazing when you think about it. I never thought about it until I was doing research for this podcast. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, not being a musician, I don't really have the language to discuss this song beyond saying how awesome it is. Yeah, it, it, it really, really is, really is amazing. And uh, it's divided into 12 segments. Jeff. That's right. 12 parts. The first part is called Buenos Noches, Mien Friends. That's yeah. Spanish, correct? And it's a classical guitar, and it's got kind of a Mexican Spanish flavor to it. Yeah, well, I think that Buenos, I think Buenos Noches is is Spanish, but I think Mein Franz is German. Oh, is it really? I think so. Someone huh. will correct me. Someone will. But yeah, I definitely agree with that. The second part is uh, called To Sleep Perchance to Dream. Right, because that's when the, the music starts very slow and dreamlike. Right, and it fits perfectly. Part three is the Strangiato theme, which we all know. I, I'm not going to hum it, but no, <laughs> it's it's the it's the part of the song that that everybody recognizes as La Villa Strangiato. The band is just again so tight in this section yeah i mean they are on fire and i read in the louder article there's some quotes from getty i don't really remember how the writing came together but i do remember rehearsing the hell out of it beforehand we really wanted to record it all in one go it's about 10 minutes long and we wanted to do it in one shot i remember writing was great fun because the whole inspiration was of course these crazy dreams that alex used to foist upon us every morning at breakfast (laughs) He'd start, you'll never guess what I dreamed last night. And then the groaning would begin. But it was a really fun visual and musical experience constructing a soundtrack to an insane person's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? And generally, uh, I think there's uh, almost nothing worse than listening to someone talk about their dreams. Oh, yeah. But well, in this case, 
But I listen, like I would love to hear Alex describe his crazy dreams. How? Because <laughs> he is so funny. I mean, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. They must have had the best time just in between gigs, just talking. I mean, just crazy. Here's, here's more from Getty. Doing something that gave us license to change as often as we wanted, to make the music as complicated as we wanted, to stylistically shift gears every 30 seconds, all of that is free and open to you. That's the beauty of doing that kind of instrumental. You can make it up as you go along. You can decide what the script should be and doesn't have to be and doesn't have to bear any relation to anyone's idea of what an instrumental song should be. So it was super fun to do, and it's still super fun to play live. It's one of my favorite songs to play, and it was one of my favorite songs to hear them do live. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. just amazing. Just amazing. And they couldn't record this all in one take either. They didn't. And I read that it took possibly 40 takes. Oof. Not only did it take 40 takes, but they had to break it up into four different sections. So unlike Xanadu, they did not record this in one swoop. Yeah. But of course, later when they played it live, they had to crank it out in one take. That's right. And they did it brilliantly. Jerry, I do have to talk about one particular section which is the section that's coming up next. It's called Monsters. And it turns out that this section was lifted from a 1936 song called Powerhouse by Raymond Scott. So apparently Alex didn't even realize when he wrote this section of the song that he was lifting it from this other song that you've heard billions of times in cartoons, Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, now I got to find it. Yeah, no, I have it. That's definitely it. That's definitely it. And you've heard that in cartoons, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so Alex just subliminally heard this song in probably a billion cartoons he's watched in his lifetime, and it found its way into La Villa Strangiato, which is awesome. Yeah. I will say that there was that one section where Alex really goes to town with a solo that, you know what I'm talking about, where it slows down oh, yeah. a little bit. Oh, that the the solo that's got to be his best solo ever. Uh, it's up there, definitely. It's up there. That's right before the monster section. Yeah. Again, so emotional. It's almost like he's recreating his own dream through his guitar. Yeah, I think Kirk Hammett talked about that particular solo in the documentary. Yeah, I mean, it's just just, just amazing. And the last movement, I guess, section, is called A Farewell to Things. 
And I think, you know, that's a conscious kind of decision that this is it. This is the end of our, our epics. Yeah. Our, this is, we're going to, you know, transition to circumstances type songs. Mm-hmm. Not that they didn't do long songs, but certainly oh, not like You this. think that was their way of saying we're, we're done with these long songs? I think so, right? Yeah, maybe. I wanted to add something else about the powerhouse thing. Sure. Uh, the Rush did not give credit to Raymond Scott on the record because they had no idea that they had lifted this song. So by the time Raymond Scott's publisher notified the band's management of copyright infringement, the statute of limitations had expired. Mm. So Rush's management, out of deference to Mr. and Mrs. Scott, this guy was still alive when this happened. And being the class acts that they are, they offered a one-time penance payment, feeling it was the ethical thing to do. That's great. Yeah. See, that's why we love these guys. Yeah. All involved were happy with the resolution, and Rush has no further financial obligations. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have to pay him, but they did anyway. Right. Because they're decent human beings. They are decent human beings. That's great. Steve, that, that's, the, that's the fact of the podcast. I love that. It's great, right? Yeah. Typ- typical Rush. Typical Rush. Yep. And Neil Peart said that they spent more time working on this song than the entirety of the Fly By Night album. (laughs) (laughs) How crazy is that? I believe it. Yes, absolutely. I believe it. So any other thoughts on La Villa Strangiato, Jar, other than it's freaking amazing? No, but you know, just like um, at the end of Hemispheres, the song, you kind of wish there was just more to it. Yeah, I agree. It's I was listening to it. I listened to it maybe three or four times today, and it just feels like there should be more. I want yeah. more. It should just go on forever. It should, but it doesn't. No. Nothing good in life ever does. Another thing I read was uh, Danforth and Pape, which is another section of this song, Yep, was named after a intersection in Toronto. I read that too. And I kind of here the thing is after this monsters section which is obviously, you know, the the monsters part is obvious and the, there's another section called Strangiato theme reprise mm-hmm. which which sounds similar to the the section earlier. But in between there, I don't know where one section starts and the other one ends. I, I was going to ask I you that. I can't tell. No. I tried for the longest time to figure out where one started and where one ended. When I first started listening to this album when I was like, I don't know, 17 or whatever, I could never do it. I haven't tried to do it in a long time, but I'm pretty sure we could find it online, right? Somebody has broken it down to the minute. I'm sure. Well, I could get to the monsters section, which is section six, and then I get lost. I can't figure out where one part begins and the next part ends. I was trying to figure out where Danforth and Pape was, so I can listen and see if it sounds like a busy intersection kind of thing. Oh. And, I could, and I couldn't figure out which part of the song it was. Right. So I, I gave up. If you listeners uh, know, let us know. Yeah. Break it down for us. Break it down. Minute. Someone, I bet you somebody will send us the breakdown. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Somebody has done it. Yep. I'm sure. So any other thoughts before we, uh, we wrap things up, Jer? No. All I can say is I'm looking forward to permanent waves. Oh gosh, permanent ways we're going to do next. That's crazy. I know. So as I do for each album, I've got a rush set list for you. Oh geez. I forgot all about that. We did a couple of interviews and I forgot all about that. The set list, right? Even though we were too young to go to one of these shows, this is December 31st. This is Christmas Eve, 
1978, Maple Leaf Gardens, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Russia's hometown-ish. Ready for this? I am. Anthem opens the show. A Passage to Bangkok. By Tour in the Snow Dog. Xanadu. Oh, Something for Nothing. The Trees. Cygnus X1. Followed by Cygnus X1 Book 2 in its entirety. Wow. Closer to the Heart. Circumstances. A Farewell to Kings. La Villa Strangiato. 2112 in <laughs> its entirety. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is this is the Just, set list. Jeez. Working Man, Bastille Day, In the Mood. And wow. They end with Neil's drum solo. Jeez. This is from, of course, setlist.fm, which I refer to every time I grab one of these set lists. It's great. That's, that's an insane set list. And at the end, it says 12 setlist.fm users were there. Wow, really? I wish I was there. Yeah, really? That would have been great. Why didn't my dad take me to Toronto in 1978 <laughs> to see Rush? You know, we were, jo- we were joking. We were, we were joking about the uh, sheltering in place we're doing yeah. and how our kids, you know, don't get to go out. They don't get to go out to dinner. They don't get to see their friends. They don't get to do anything. Yep. It's kind of like our childhood. Exactly. <laughs> but we did that every day. We did that every day. <laughs> All the time. We were That's sheltering right. in place and we didn't even know why we were doing it. I know. <laughs> the only thing we could do is walk around. So this is working out okay, Jer. I mean, I'm seeing you via Skype, so um, it's not the same as having you here, but it's working out okay. Hopefully, I think the it's li- working out okay. Hopefully the listeners don't notice too much that we, uh, we sound different in our different spots. Right. But next time on the Rush Fancast, I don't know what we're going to do. So we, we may have an interview for you. We may jump right into permanent waves. We might do something else. Wow. We Do you have see. something in mind? The way you said that, something I else. don't know. I have no oh. clue. I haven't even thought about it. Oh, but, wow. But you can find now us on- Now I'm excited. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, the Rushcast. As we mentioned earlier, email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. Your thoughts about the trees, your thoughts about circumstances, your thoughts about Ask an Arborist, whether we should do the podcast, <laughs> let us know. And Jer, please, please, please tell me you have a quote. Please. Of course I do. Would of I let cor- you down, Steve? You would let me down, but... I guess I would. But you haven't. All right, here we go. Yes. Now, there's no more oak oppression, for they passed a noble law, and the trees are all kept equal by hatchet, axe, and saw. I noticed the way you said noble. <laughs> <laughs> In a very sarcastic tone. Yeah, I'm a very sarcastic man. You are. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.